You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. So it is surprising, Chris, that I wasn't more familiar with uh, an axolotl until I dove into the research. But once I dove in, there was no going back. What can they teach us? And there's a group of them, and they regenerate and grow, and then there's a bunch of them, and more and more and more and thousands, and then all of a sudden tens of thousands of cells become the new limb. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And Angie, we're going to Mexico. Oh, I love Mexico. E2. That means me too, Chris. (laughs) Dude, I can't remember my Spanish. And it's, you know, dumb me. I'm back in California and it's like, you should know Spanish living in California. You should absolutely know Spanish. You should. You should. Just get get a book and just practice with it. My Mine's always rusty too until I get to practice with either some of my friends or traveling. And I've never been fluent, but nouns and verbs are usually pretty good for me. I'm sure that if I was able to travel back to, uh, or when I get a chance to go back to Central mm-hmm. or South America, I'll hopefully dive right back in and pick up where I left off and, and become slightly more fluent than here. It's, it's a, it's a, it's very useful, especially in the United States, but I'm learning Greek. So I, I've got some words. Oh. Yeah. I'm learning Greek. What and, are some words? Okay. So Malacca. <laughs> <laughs> that one that's like bs or okay. or poop <laughs> you know it's kind of the uh oh. the pg version so malaka <laughs> and then uh agape moo which i'll leave that one hanging okay. and um you know my friend will know what that one means and um so i'm i'm starting to 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 start to learn some greek uh greek culture studying some greek history it's amazing country so we have Fun. to cover some, we have to we have to look at some animals in greece or the Mediterranean. Yeah. Well, we did. We'll get some recommendations from your friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, she wants tigers, so we're, we got to do tigers soon. <laughs> we did do, though, and this one, I, I guess this is a good segue because we did do a species from the Mediterranean that's kind of similar to this. Not very similar, but does have some characteristics. The immortal jellyfish we did a mm-hmm. few weeks ago. So for this one, we're going to Mexico, and it's axolotl. So axolotl. Yes. Yes. And who your friend requested this one. Oh, my dear friend, Cecilia. I have to give her a big shout out for sure. She's a a great listener, 
an even better friend. Yes. And bless her heart, she's a good friend. She knows I get lazy with my Spanish speaking. So although she's fluent in both English and Spanish, we could speak more Spanish than we do, but I think she knows that I'm a tired mom most of the time. Yes, I know. <laughs> like, let me just do my samples and get out of here, please. Mm-hmm. So. But I have to say, I uh, I want to thank uh, Cecilia for uh, suggesting this because it's for me, it hasn't really been on my radar. Mm-hmm. And to be completely honest, when I would, I've been very busy the past couple of weeks. So when I first started prepping for the axolotl and not really knowing a lot about its background, I was not as excited about it, let's say, mm-hmm. as I have been about other creatures that we've done mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. on all creatures podcast. But Within five minutes, Chris, I was blown away. Oh, these I ones are amazing. I was blown away yeah. by this amphibian. Yes. So yes. stick with us today, and you're going to learn a lot about axolotl from Mexico, some crazy, amazing physiology facts mm-hmm. about it uh, that have to do with its limbs, its mm-hmm. heart, its spinal cord. It's just a really, really cool stuff, and it's also critically endangered and so we're going to talk a lot about how that happened what's going on in mexico with it Mm -hmm. and then interesting there's a lot of axolotls under human care and and sometimes in zoos but then it's uh actually a really popular pet so so it is surprising chris that i wasn't more familiar with uh, an axolotl until i dove into the research but once i dove in there was no going back Oh, I remember it's... we were going to do this a couple nights ago, and I said, no, Chris, I'm not yeah. ready yet. I want to keep watching videos. <laughs> yes. No, they <laughs> – Angie, I – you know, it was, it was, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. I was sitting in a seminar, and we brought in a scientist that does regenerative medicine there at University of Florida. This is the first time I, I ran across the axolotl, and it, it, it's it's something I, that stuck with me. It's one of those talks you listen to, and you're just like, wow. And – Anytime I would lecture and we get talking about stem cells with my students or, you know, try to I go off on a tangent and some science fact thing like this, these ones are leading the Wait, way. Hold on. So stop. stop. Yeah. You go off on a weird science tangent about stem cells? <laughs> never. <laughs> but never, Angie. You've never sat through that lecture, right? <laughs> Anyways, no, not like 20 times, yes, but it's a good get, one. It's worth it. it. It's worth and, it. And, and, and our listeners will get a, probably a teeny tiny taste of it today. Yes. So you get to listen to it, it again today, so, but, but it's, it's amazing because these scientists that are studying this and they're using the axolotl as a model organism to, to see how they regenerate their tissues. So then scientists will get some medical breakthroughs, create treatments or other things that we could help regenerate, you know, cells in the human body. And that's where some, and it's a Harvard scientist, and I got to find this. He believes that the first 200 year old human being is going to, is walking the earth. They just don't know it yet. It could be some young child. It could be somebody out there, wherever they are. But they think within the next 20, 30 years with regenerative medicine, that we're going to be able to, we talk about the cell cycle, reversing some sort of aging. So the axolotl is actually a very critical, critical animal that is teaching us a lot about biology that we, we haven't explored before. And I agree. I cannot wait to dive into the biology and physiology about this guy today. However, 
If you are unfamiliar with what an axolotl looks like, Chris and I are going to describe it here. So just hold on. But I highly, I, our, our description is not going to do it justice because I, I couldn't picture it in my head until I started studying it and looking at a lot of photos of it. And now I'm madly in love it with the axolotl. It is the cutest, not to take away from school biology, but just mm-hmm. to anthropomorphize a little bit. It's like the cutest little amphibian you've ever seen or medium size. It has like a grinning face mm-hmm. and it actually axolotl. Phonetically, it's axolotl, but the the ax part or the a part means water and axolotl means dog. So mm-hmm. of the, and this is not in Spanish, a water dog in Spanish would be, what would that be, Chris? Do you remember that? What, no, but the, Spanish. no, you're not going to trip me up because this is Aztec language. Sorry. So <laughs> <That's> <laughs> good, right. good, good. but I'm still trying to trip you up a little bit. How would I you know. say water dog in Spanish? Oh, agua dog. <laughs> Pero. Pero. I can't right, roll my right, arrows. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, right. Cecilia and Anna. Aguapadero. I know my Spanish. We all, we all know I have the thickest American accent when I talk in Spanish, but Malaca. whatever. I try. So. I'm just going to say Malaca. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes, uh, so water dog, but it's just, I don't, it's just the cutest amphibian I think you have ever seen. It's also known as the Mexican walking fish, but once again, this is not a fish. This is an amphibian. So think frogs. Um, and it's, and it's closer, rela- it's closer related to the tiger salamander. When you're describing this thing, what's really unique about it, you know, you think of what a lizard looks like, a gecko looks like, or really a salamander, which is, these are related to tiger salamanders. You know, they have the four limbs, the long tail, everything like that. The axolotl actually took a leap back in evolution where they didn't fully become truly adult. So they don't fully form like a tiger salamander. They're actually paused in part of that tadpole stage, you know, where they're they, it's that cross between a fish and a salamander, right? So that's why they call it, that's why they call this the, the walking fish. So when you look at it, it's got that tail. It's, I, I call it's the dorsal fin, but it looks like a crocodile tail. It's got that ridge along the back, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a fully adult looking tail. They do have the, the four squatty limbs. Their eyes are like fish eyes and then a large gaping mouth, you know, kind of like a fish. But then Angie, you wanted to talk about the headdress, right? Like, yes, their feather, feathery headdress is what makes them super cute. Oh, that's amazing. It's so amazing when you see them. And I think that's what makes people really want to have them as pets, right? Cause they're just gorgeous. They're just gorgeous looking creatures. They're super unique and well, and they live in water. So they're in water their whole lives. And, uh, and they have these cute, they're like grinning amphibians too. <laughs> They've got this cute face. Right. Yeah, and the difference between say, you know, amphibians versus say, and we did this, we did this with frogs. You know, frogs like moist environments, toads are dry environments. Lizards like dry environments, amphibians like moist environments. So the axolotl, yeah, it stays in the water, but most other salamanders or or frogs like to be near water, so their skin's moist, and they actually absorb uh, oxygen and stuff in the atmosphere through their skin, uh, like that. And it's just. This, this, this specific one is just amazing. Amazing. Now we keep saying Mexico and that's because these were located around Mexico City. 
in that yes. one specific environment, right? And they were very important in Aztec culture, which we'll get to. But it was originally in the lakes, uh, and I'm, hopefully I don't butcher, butcher this, Oxamilco and Chalco uh, were two big lakes. Yes, and we'll pre-apologize to Cecilia for yes. not pronouncing that right properly. <laughs> she can teach you. <laughs> She will teach yes, me. Yes, yes. I should have. Uh, I should have talked to her before this. Darn it. Yeah, and they lived in the lakes, and so they. What is what really has happened to them is these lakes were drained, and many many years ago, and now there's just shallow lagoons and canals that axolotls still survive in, but with the pressures of the growth of Mexico City, water, some of the other pressures, we'll talk about pollution, things like that. That's why they're disappearing in the wild. And they're only found in this one area of the world. And they're the only amphibian that we know has this really limb regeneration capability that we're able to study in the lab. So they're just, it, it's just. Well, and, yeah. And this really unique style of never basically completing metamorphosis, which we'll talk about a little right. bit more when we get to life cycle. Right. Yeah. They just call them a sexually mature larva almost. I mean, they, it's, it, was it neoteny? Yeah. Is that what they, that's they call insulting. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> insulting for those poor axolotls. They are more than just a sexually mature larva. Just take a look at them, Google an image of them. Trust me. And we need but more of them. So. They have not completed. I think it, I think it's more politically to, correct to say they have not completed metamorphosis. <laughs> and they right, don't. There you typically. go. There you go. They, they, they never don't. do. They, they never do. Right, right. But they're just, ah, oh, it's just a crazy what they can do. So, you know, it's like, why care about them? I mean, obviously we've already laid out. They, and I think we've done a great job just like already getting you excited about the limb regeneration and how they do that. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But I mean, here's a species, Angie, that can transform humanity forever. Transform humanity forever. If we can study them and not lose the genetic diversity in them, because I think if we lose the genetic diversity in, in captive axolotls, we're going to lose what makes them so special. So I just think for our sake, you know, in a hundred years, 200 years, 300 years, humanity, you know, this is a species that can, can really change the trajectory of our own evolution. So for me, that's why I care. Like it's just, it's, it's such a special animal that we really, it, it's one that I think should be a priority. You know, if we had to make a list of priority animals and, and, and I don't know, you know, maybe in captivity or, you know, the ones that are in labs, they can keep that genetic diversity going. But, you know, when you lose that, that wild cot, you know, those wild genes, that gets scary for me. All of the modern laboratory axolotls. Okay. So maybe that's not the ones that are No, I think that's like all, most all the modern ones can be traced back to 33 animals that were shipped from Mexico to Paris in 1864. So people that specialize in axolotls and their pedigrees knows that the stock is actually inbred and there's not that much genetic diversity between the uh, breeding animals. And as you and I have talked a lot before about inbred populations when population numbers are super low, they're more vulnerable to catastrophic issues such as disease or you know, if they're in a certain area, hurricane, you know, just different uh, diseases, probably number one, but. And I would just say the Tasmanian devil, great example. That's why they have this, this cancer, exactly. you know, because they're so exactly. inbred. 
you know, and they're on the brink. Exactly. Of so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there definitely is a lot. I mean, under human care, there's in, in pet stores or in laboratories. I mean, there's no problem. They breed great. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the different colors and things like this and the way that they look. But it's not enough. Like the, the genes aren't there. It's not enough. And so that's where I think this maintaining this wild population whose genes have not been introduced to any of these um, either researched axolotls or obviously um, in uh, living under human care and zoos and whatnot. Um, so it'd be great if there are enough of them where we could share some genetics with that population. Right. Yeah. And they, you know, we're going to get to conservation, but they're not finding any in the wild. That's the, the scary thing. I mean, they, they know they're out there, but they're not finding them. Right. The so, time is yeah. the reason this is such a, I'm so glad Cecilia recommended this is because yeah. the time to act is now and the time right. to educate your friends who are like, Oh, that's just a cute little pet that someone has is mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like their wild yeah. population is in crisis. And yeah. we're going to give you some things at the end of the podcast that you can do to potentially help. So, yeah. 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 And they, I mean, just again, ma- amazing creatures. And like we said, it's just because this neoteny they think is a backward step in evolution. These axolotl descended from terrestrial salamanders. So they actually were on land and then they regressed um, for whatever reason, whatever advantage that gave them in evolution. So, it's really a dichotomy or a paradox or whatever. I don't know, you know, what, what to call it, but that these things that are just so incredible living in the water. Now, their scientific name is Abistoma mexicanum, and they're the only species, right? It's a single species that we're talking about. Amphibian evolution, I've, I've covered it before, just to kind of give you the cliff note version, because we really want to focus on the physiology today. Amphibians are ancient. I mean, 395 million years ago, amphibians were actually the first uh, tetrapod. So oh. here's here, here's a word for Xander, meaning four limbs. So when he becomes the, the dinosaur expert. <laughs> so they were the first, uh, amphibians were the first ones to walk on land, right? From go from water to land. And that makes sense because they're four limbs, but they like to be in the water or near the water. And then they go on land to eat and go back in the water. Now, over the millions of years, amphibians have obviously gotten gotten more advanced. They uh, lungs, nostrils, limbs, things like that 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 have developed. Now, axolotl specifically, it belongs to the family of tiger salamanders, and were found, you know, through, and tiger salamanders are found throughout North America. So, you know, they're native to this part of the world. Now, during the pre-Columbus times or, you know, the Europeans coming over down there in the Central Valley near Mexico City, it was totally ideal for axolotls. And the Aztecs actually developed the wetlands, developed canals, you know, and you had more shorelines. So axolotls actually thrived. They actually exploded Mm -hmm. in population. They were doing great. And the Aztecs ate them. You know, it was was food for them. You know, they would catch them and, and eat them. The axolotl is very important in a lot of their myths, uh, in their art. You can find a lot of art things with with the Aztecs. Now, once the Aztec Empire fell, the lakes deteriorated. And then it was just, you know, until really the middle of the 20th century, that's when the crash started happening. So about 60 years ago. And that was 
people were starting to eat them and they still do eat them there outside Mexico city. But as soon as Mexico city just exploded from 1950 onwards, that's really where they've, they've had a really difficult time. So that's the cliff note version in the history of axolotls in Mexico city. And now they're just, they're isolated in a few pockets around uh, that area of the world. Now what's interesting about amphibians and I, I don't, you know, I guess I would just never. All of it. Every, I would say all of it's interesting. No, I know. They're cool, know. man. Is, you know, they live a long time. Like they really live, you know, these can live 10 to 15 years and there's actually been one in, there's actually been one under human care that lived to be 25. Like amphibians wow, live a long, long time. I didn't know that. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Think a few years, but not that much. And axolotls aren't that small either. You know, no. I, I, I imagine they'd be small. They're like, what, almost a foot long, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Anywhere from 20 centimeters to 30 centimeters, 9 to 12 inches. So a foot. Uh, yeah. Now, we did cover this way back when, Angie, the, the I think, episode five, poison dart frogs and kind of the life cycle of frogs in general. Which yeah, it's was one of my it's favorite episodes. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love that episode. Yeah. I love yeah, it was good. frogs too. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. They're amazing. Most people understand that, you know, you have a fertilized egg and then they hatch and they're like little fish or we call tadpoles, right? Mm-hmm. Then they start to grow limbs and differentiate and they start to metamorphosis up to, you know, a frog or say in a salamander all the way through to four limbs, a longer tail, long slim body. And then they leave land, they leave the water and they go out on land and they just kind of stay moist, but not live in the water, right? Generally frogs lay in the water, will swim in the water, but generally like to be on land. So Mm -hmm. axolotls, like we've explained, don't go full adult, right? Right. They experience this, this neoteny, which is a fancy science word for basically they reach maturity without going through this last phase of metamorphosis. And they it's basically are still exhibiting juvenile traits when reaching adulthood. So they grow bigger. They get this you know foot long, but they never fully mature. And so they keep their gills. Uh, they do still have underdeveloped lungs that they will use sometimes with oxygen's really low, uh, which might help them in some of these polluted waters. But mm-hmm. overall, they still use their gills to breathe as a fish would, and they live in the water, and they take advantage of that process. And they, this is the, they basically die this way. Um, and if they do go through a further stage of metamorphosis, which can be induced um, by um, injecting certain hormonal concoctions. Uh, which pet owners should not do this. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, they will, they will sometimes metamorphosize further. Uh, mm-hmm. but they usually don't live that long and die, even if they do develop into more of a tiger salamander ish thing. Um, and so yeah, it's very rare and it is, it's, and so Chris, I would argue another really amazing reason to, to save these critically endangered axolotls is obviously their limb regeneration we're going to touch on. And of course their rich, rich culture and part of the heritage mm-hmm. of that area in Mexico. But also this fact that not this neat, this neatony, 
And this neoteny, this staying juvenile, not finishing your metamorphosis is very, very rare. And I think it also offers researchers a lot of interesting pathways to understand. I, I know I wouldn't mind staying 12, 13. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. 30 no and it's like the right No age. bills to pay. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I've got that's my, true. I, I got my first pony. Actually, I never had a pony. Yeah. I had yeah. a horse. His name was Starbert. Yeah. I've got Starbert. I've got no bills to pay. <laughs> I'm, I'm riding my horse through corn and blueberry fields. Just keep me there, yeah. man. I know. I know, kids. If you're listening, don't complain because once once you hit adulthood, it's all downhill, right? <laughs> Taxes. Yes. And, but I I will you know. say 30s and 40s. But I will I will have to give my plug for 30s and 40s. I think they're definitely better than the 20s. Woo! I was hot mess yeah. in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. No, and, it's, and it is interesting because neoteny is such a a rare thing, a disease in humans, a disease state in domestic animals. Some other species, birds do this, and some insects do this, but it's very rare. It's very rare. So axolotls, I mean, they have a lot that, you know, we need to learn about and, and study. They're special. And, and get to know. Yeah. <laughs> Muy now, especial. Yes, yes. Bueno. Now, <laughs> limb regeneration. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Hey, I know that word. Hey, bueno. <laughs> uh... Uh, my Spanish teacher, all he did was teach us bad words. Uh, I still remember him to this day. Oh, I could go okay. tit for tat with bad words. Trust me. <laughs> He's so great. Um, so limb regeneration. So this was really uh, Spallanzini discovered tail and limb regeneration, I think, in, in lizards and, and other species back in 1768. So not in axolotls, but, you know, in these. Now, axolotls were first collected by von Humboldt. Back in 1864, 1864. So this is a long time ago. And he was looking at nuclear reprogramming, the embryo of germ cell induction and regeneration. Wow. So they were studying that stuff back then. So you thought your that's, PhD was hard. Well, I think that's, that's probably when some of these, um, you know, these, they took the 33 specimen that are still, yes. you know, basically the genetic pool, which is yeah. not very diverse. Yes, yes, very much so, very much so. And then brought them back to, to study and, and they did all these whacked out experiments. I saw one where they, they grew, they put another head on ones long time ago. They don't do this anymore, but it actually grafted and healed and became a, a working head, like just bizarre, 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 bizarre science experiments. Now to kind of go back, if we go back to the immortal jellyfish episode and, and again, you got a great, interesting creature that can live forever. You know, we talk about in that episode, we talk about how they revert back. So we were talking about this process of trans differentiation when it was like a, an adult cell, like say a skin cell that went back to being a stem cell, you know, which didn't have a, it just has a blueprint, but wasn't specialized yet. So the immortal jellyfish is able to, to kind of go back and do that. This is a little bit different. So it's, it's what is, the basics of what they do is the axolotls can heal really well, really well. Because what happens is, is the muscle, bone, skin cells, nerve cells, right? All the things that, mm-hmm. that are the biology of it. When you, when their limb is amputated or cut, it reverts back into its basic form before it becomes that specific finger, like say your thumb 
right? It will just be a general, okay, this is the skin of the thumb that it will eventually become. So it comes way back and it, it like forms progenitor these, cells basically. Right. And they still call them, you know, adult stem cells that, that form this mm-hmm. thing called a blastoma. So when we get a, a cut wound healing, you know, and you've studied this, you know, you know it really well, but for the general audience, you know, when we get wounds, we, we have, you know, reorganization and we, we get a scab, you know, that's what happens. Now you get a scab, it heals over skin, regrows, things like that. With these, they form this blastema. So it's really going back to when they were almost, you know, developing, you know, embryonic fetal development. And that starts to form a new limb. And over time it will form bones, skin, veins, Right, the more specialized cells, cartilage, bone, muscle, Mm -hmm. skin, blood vessels. So you, you, so what they do is nerves. That that's crazy. Yeah, nerve regeneration. So there's all these things that that happen, and 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 think about it as a survival mechanism. Let's 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 take it out of the lab and just go to in the wild. Fish comes by, or another axolotl, or something bites its its limb off. Well, they're like, okay, it hurts, ouch. But over time, boom, I've got a new arm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's rare. That is really <laughs> rare in biology. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. That is why these things are so extraordinary. When I went ahead and tried to take it a step farther and be like, okay, well, why or how are they doing it? And just a little bit of the research is that they do think that the immune system, which of course, when you have trauma is highly triggered, uh, the immune system plays an important role in this limb regeneration. So macrophages, those are a type of your innate immune system. You have them inside your, basically in your derm, your dermal layer of your skin cells. They're just waiting there to attack anything they might need to, or to engulf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also to, to tell the rest of your immune system, like, Hey guys, we got some stuff. We need, we need more help. But they're really involved. Macrophages are really heavily involved in inflammation response after injury. And just for some of the research, they think that they are part of initiating some of this. Like you said, it's not trans differentiation, but basically mm-hmm. reformation of these blastom. What'd you call them? Blasto. Blastoma. Yeah, it's a blastoma. The blastoma cells because researchers have shown that if they put a drug that can like gets rid of macrophages in an mm-hmm. axolotl's limb right before amputation, it won't grow back. Okay. Okay. So something with the inflammation process yeah. uh, down, mm-hmm. that's probably more downstream, but yeah, as far as some of the upstream targets, I don't know if they're, if they obviously fully understand it's, it. <laughs> they, I, the, it sounds like, the, I mean, the cell biology part, I think they have a good handle on, but mm-hmm. the actual, uh, molecular pathways, and that's what helps with drug development. Because if you understand the molecular pathway, then you can either add something or block something, and to try to to try to uh, uh, mimic that right in in a different model. So I don't think we're quite there yet, but um, it, yeah, it's just. I'm sitting uh, here thinking, and I'm like, but this goes or, back to or, my or, or their spinal cord, their spinal cord, yes, Chris, yeah, nerve go, yeah. tissue. Sorry to interrupt. I just. We're no, 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 co- go, 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 go. We're, we're covering yeah. the nervous system right now in my, uh, yeah. anatomy and physiology class. And mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty much one of the standard things that you teach is like, oh, it can't regenerate, um, or very little regeneration. And 
Except for there's some really cool nerves in your sensory system that do regenerate pretty well. Can you think of what mm-hmm. those would be? Mm-hmm. I do know brain cells regenerate. I do know that. They can. They, they can, but they're not yeah. it's not taste. something they readily do. Ah, there it is. Taste. Yeah, taste right. Does. We've all yeah. we've all drank hot cocoa that's too hot, burned our tongue. Mm-hmm. And but then yeah, within five to ten days we're back to normal. So I would definitely yeah. say if you're in your it's senses. It's the worst pizza. It's not hot cocoa, it's pizza. Like why is pizza like the number one food that causes burnt mouth? Those darn so pepperonis. Good. And then also oh, yeah. in your uh your olfactory nerves. Can also okay. there's okay. Uh, there's basal stem cells there that uh, re- that can definitely replenish themselves. So Angie, we're really we're really geeking out. <laughs> Sorry, because <laughs> this is what we want. No, no, this is this episode. This episode, we just we wanted to get through all the other stuff no, just to get to I this needed, part. I need to talk about their feathery gills and what they do, Chris. We will. We'll get, get there. there. You do that next. There. We'll do that next. Okay. Let's finish this uh, regeneration thing because I'm Wait, sitting we're, here. We're listening not done to you yet. Talk. No, no, no. <laughs> It's, it's because I remember, you know, and I was just talking to my good friend and her and I were talking about this physicist that I heard on NPR and he comes in and he talks about his research and I'm an educated fellow, right? You know, I, I have a PhD and, and I study molecular, you know, biology and things like that. So I, I think I have a good grasp on science, but this guy is just like so excited talking about his physics experiments and I have no idea what he's saying. Oh, forget he's talk about, about that's, I mean, Spanish is a foreign language. Physics is like a alien oh. language. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I'm sitting here and I'm trying to, I'm trying to grasp what he's talking about, these different particles he's studying and he's so enthusiastic, but it was a good example. And I remember, you know, I think I told you the story right before we started even podcasting. Science communication. It's really hard when we get, we start geeking out like this to hopefully let the listeners understand, you know, really what's happening. Cause you and I understand it, but well, today, sometimes. right? Yeah. <laughs> and you it. do really, I mean, we do, I think both of us have done, have gotten immensely better over 80 episodes or whatever of, of explaining things. So you were doing a, a beautiful job of that. And it just got me thinking to help maybe the listeners a little bit. Because I go back to my embryology class and I remember I, I shared this with all my students and it was the hardest class I ever took. It was my master's degree. It was embryology and the guy's historical grade point average is horrible. Like, you know, but I loved it. I loved it. And that's why I study repro. And I remember back, you know, just to study early embryology for people. And I think this might help understand what's going on with these axolotls. We're just a mass of cells, right? Early embryo, just a bunch of cells, and they haven't become an eye. They haven't become a head. They haven't become an arm, a leg, a toe, hair, you know, nerves, your heart. They're they're not programmed yet, and that's what we call stem cells, right? So over time, as it develops, you get these. You were talking about molecular signals that say, "Okay, boom, you're going to become a an arm." And you're going to become a leg and boom. Then after that happens, the, these cells, clump of cells migrate, say to the right side, dorsal, ventral, whatever, all that stuff, to the right side, become the right arm, forms this clump of tissue like the blastema. Then during further development in the embryo, it becomes an early arm, right? And an early leg. So what has happened in these axolotls, even though you have this 
semi-adult body, that limb that gets cut or the spinal cord process that gets cut or the tail gets cut or wherever, it signals to go back to that embryonic stage, that blastema stage. And those cells are recruited and there's a group of them and they regenerate and grow. And then there's a bunch of them and more and more and more and thousands. And then all of a sudden tens of thousands of cells become the new limb, right? So taking it slowly, I don't know if that helps explain it, but, um, you know, that's, that's what's going on with them. And that is what fascinates scientists, right? That's what fascinates me. That's what fascinates you. Hopefully fascinates the listeners are out there. All five of them, you know, mom, Corbin Maxey. Hey mom. <laughs> I think she gave up on me Corbin's about listening. episode. She told me I talked too fast. She gave up on me at episode 20 something. <laughs> you got to get her a podcast app that slows it down. So that no, was good. It was good. And it, and, you know, I looked at a study that uses – one thing that, that triggered with me was they use fluorescent dye. And remember we just talked about that with jellyfish, why we care about jellyfish. And they track the limb growth, the cell growth. And so we know that, you know, even though it goes back to that immature stage, it's still a skin cell becomes a skin cell. Or the Schwann cells that protect nerves, that's what you're talking about right now. They become mm-hmm. those types of cells. So anyways, it's, it's fascinating. I know you and I can, can talk about it forever because it's stem cell stuff that gets me really nerdy, but let's talk about their gills. <laughs> so their gills are fun. so pretty and feathery. And that's the picture. Well, obviously we're going to put some pictures and, sh- uh, and videos up on our show notes. We've got a lot of that good stuff coming up, but what I think sets them apart is basically, and so these feathery projections, three of them on basically the right side of their face towards where their gills are would be if it was a fish where you think about mm-hmm. gills would be or an ear, right? And, and a mammal mm-hmm. and three on the left and three on the right and their projections probably about an inch long or so. And then they have even more fanning tissue on each one. You just mm-hmm. got to look at them. I'm not doing them justice. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> this beautiful feather dress that definitely sets them apart than from any any type of a normal salamander that you've ever seen, because salamanders mm-hmm. don't have those, uh, are their gills. You're supposed to be like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing, Angie, because that's not where gills normally are, right? You think right. of gills on fish on the yeah. side. Yeah. So they're, yeah, they're basically called like eggs. Um, the scientific term is external gill stalks or rami. That originate behind their heads and they basically move oxygenated water and they're lined with filaments called fimbrae that increase surface area for this gas exchange. They do have four gill slits lined with gill rakers that are hidden kind of underneath uh, the external gills. So, and as I previously mentioned, they do have underdeveloped lungs, but that's not primarily how they breathe. They primarily breathe mm-hmm. like fish or tadpoles, through their gills. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think what also anybody that's been familiar with them, either in a zoo or aquaria or uh, as a, perhaps an axolotl hobbyist uh, has seen their brilliant colors. Very, very unique mm-hmm. and uh, very pleasing to the eye. So the axolotls are going to have four pigment um, pigmentation genes. And as they've been bred um, for under human care, they've created basically different color variants. So the normal wild type axolotl 
that is hopefully still in Mexico, the few specimen that are around, or maybe the more aware we make them and the people living around these lakes and the communities uh, care about them and want to save them. Uh, those are going to be uh, about a tan brown with goldish type speckles and an olive undertone. But when you see them in aquaria or sometimes um, within the pet trade, they also have like a pink color almost with black eyes. Um, albinos are found, which obviously that's been genetically, you know, inbred or whatever. And those are going to be, uh, sometimes have, uh, goldish colored eyes. They have a gray one with black eyes and then they have, um, an all black that sometimes can have no gold speckling with an olive tone. And of course, mm-hmm. With that being said, too, with a lot of this breeding going on, there's a lot of variability in size and intensity of this gold speckling and um, and sometimes other colors as well. So in the wild, they're not white and it's this pinkish color. But if you Google them online, uh, you're going to see this cute, for lack of better science terms, this cute kind of light pink color with pink feather headdress gills. So charismatic charismatic. There you go. There you go. (laughs) There's your scientific term. Yeah. So uh, charismatic. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. yeah, They're definitely, definitely um, beautiful. And I can see why, you know, people would maybe want to go get one. However, I am not going to recommend that any of our listeners or uh, anyone else for that matter goes and runs out and gets an axolotl from a pet or a breeder. Um, they are amphibians. They require a lot of skill and care and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and they live for a while. So long time. Please do your research uh, unless you're a, you know, professional amphibian and or reptile. Uh, caretaker it's it's definitely not for the faint-hearted and um you you know you, you you'd be surprised at what these guys need so do your research do your homework and um also too if you do find yourself in a situation if you've you or a friend have gotten an axolotl and are unable to care for it make sure you uh don't release them in the wild that's super nope. unfair to the animal <laughs> Um, and depending on where you live, it could be an exotic or, um, it could be, it could be catastrophic. It could be catastrophic. Lionfish. I mean, which we have to do lionfish. I mean, we put that on the list that lionfish in the Caribbean. Yeah. If you, right? yeah. So the best thing is you can look up, um, basically pet amnesties uh, or, you know, surrender mm-hmm. my pet or, um, or any of the uh, breeder. A lot of times, um, a lot of times, a lot of the on Facebook, there's a lot of great amphibian groups out there and um, or conservation organizations that will help direct you with what to do with an animal or a pet that's unwanted. And that's why a number one reason why I don't recommend getting them because they're not for everybody. And I'd hate for you, I hate for a person to get one and then not want one and then do something inappropriate with it. Right, right. Yeah, I don't release them in the wild. I remember my friend Joe, he did a lot of reptile rescue and stuff and and they and they're hard. You know, you really got to be dedicated. It's really dedicated uh dedicated owner with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, well they're they're an aquaria. And aquarium keepers are a whole brilliant breed of people that are really I mean, they're it's expensive, too. So 
it's yeah, it's definitely, like I said, it's definitely not for the beginner. And, um, and then, and, and then if you have interest, seek out a professional person or information that can definitely help you. Or just, or just adopt a dog. Adopt a dog from your local, yeah, yeah. local dog. Start with that. I yeah. got a new business for us. Yeah. John loves cats. Let's do digital aquariums, you know, and kind of figure it out how to do it like a 3D digital aquarium. We'd be multimillionaires, billionaires. There we that go. That I would love. 3D little axolotl swimming above yeah. my head. I yeah. don't want a real one. Forget yeah. about that. Right now we have, um, cause it's such, I, right yeah. now we have sea creatures. Uh, Danielle, my, one of my, Mm-hmm. Buddy's here, one of my, my best gal, yeah. gal pals. She, uh, got Xander, her and Joe, her and her husband got Xander sea creatures for Christmas. And they're basically like brine shrimp. And yes. he's now grown <laughs> to be about two or three inches. And I have to change his, fre- first of all, he needs distilled water. And I don't know if he's a he or she. It needs distilled water that I have to buy and then I got to change the thing out and it ate all the food that I got, that it came with it. So I had to go out and buy more yeah. food and it's a mess. <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> it doesn't smell, it doesn't still smell Sanders very good. And I'm like, so whenever we go out of town, I make Danielle watch it. I'm like, you gave me this thing. So you're, <laughs> It's a good, it's a good gift to your best friend. Yeah, I know. She's such a good girl. But, uh, and, and Xander loves it, but he's already kind of, he's not as into it as he used to be. But I, I actually am super in love with it. Or him or her. Fascinated with it. Okay. It's really for you. It's really for you now. Yeah. 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 Well, here you go. You can just. You can just feed it to an axolotl. They'll eat it. I well, I just don't want. I mean, like I said, this little dabble in Aquaria has scared scared me away for life. I'm like, no, thank you. Too yeah. much work. Too much yeah. information. Beautiful to look at, but I yeah. love the idea of the 3D Aquaria. Boom, done and done. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. There's there's a billion dollar billion dollar idea right there for free. Don't folks. give it away. So oh, yeah, oh, give it away. <laughs> Edit that out. Edit that out. So they're carnivores. So we'll talk about food. They're carnivores. They eat worms, insects, fish, and crustaceans. Or so, my sea creature, but yeah. I would not feed my sea creature because I'm yeah. in love with him or her. No, no. Yes, yeah. So that's pretty, pretty easy. I mean, pretty, pretty easy diet. Now for behavior, I don't imagine they do a ton of stuff. I don't know what you found, Christopher. Oh my goodness, you didn't look hard okay. enough. Maybe not. Okay. So <laughs> let me sit back. No, no. Honestly, um, yeah. As far as an Aquarius species goes, I don't. They probably aren't that much fun. Um, they are solitary and they can be active any time of the day. So they're probably fun to watch when they're active and, and looking around for food. Um, but there's not really too much as far as other behavior goes when they're solitary. They're just swimming around looking for food, inactive or active any time of day. You just never know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now they do communicate with one another, which is important during breeding, which is very active. And we're going to touch on that in a minute. They use mainly visual and chemical cues during mating. And pretty much whenever they're not mating, there's little to no communication with each other. Okay. Um, it's also been documented that axolotls can detect electrical fields. And so they probably use this along with their vision to catch prey and discover prey. Okay. And so Chris, normally I love courtship behaviors because I always, I, I jokingly love to say, Oh, I want to see my husband do this or whatever. Um, and this one's probably not the most PG for that. So we're just gonna, okay. we're just gonna, we'll put a YouTube video up and you guys can hopefully see if you can find the different moves of the dance that they do. But 
it basically involves the first animals, male and a female, axolata, start nudging each other, sometimes on the cloacal region. That's where their private parts mm-hmm. are. And this mm-hmm. eventually leads to a waltz of both animals often moving in like a circle together. But then mm-hmm. the male will move away in front of the female. And he does this. This part makes me laugh. He does this undulating posture with his tail. Remember, because they do basically still have tails. Mm-hmm. And it it's like undulating like a hula dance back and forth. He's hula dancing in front of the female with his tail, just kind of doing this thing. And while he's doing this hula dance in front of his lady friend, Axolotl, he will deposit his spermatophore, which are like cone-shaped masses of, they look like jelly, and with mm-hmm. a sperm cap. And he does this as he's doing, shaking his tail for about a half a minute, doing this hula hula dance in front of his lady friend. And then he'll move forward a little bit, enticing, probably enticing his lady friend to come over to this spermatophore. And so then... A female axolotl will travel over the spermatophore jelly cups, uh, jelly masses of sperm. She'll start shaking her tail, doing this little hula hula herself, and she actually picks up the spermatophore with her cloaca, with her female um, uh, private parts, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's quite intricate, and I have a video that we'll put on the show notes of um, that somebody shared on YouTube. Bless YouTube's heart. You can find anything. Anything. On YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. And the other thing too, Chris. Oh my gosh. I will put up a video, but I want to. I don't know if you'll keep it up or not. But there, there's some like funny music that goes along to it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of like they. These people obviously must really love their axolotls, and they put like you know some nice. Yeah. Not too romantic, but some funny music. <laughs> yeah. But then I, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can actually see. I'm such a dork. I was like, I don't know if I can actually see the female picking up the somatophore. So I was, so I was shopping around mm. trying to find like the best video. I don't know if I found the best. Yeah. But Chris, lo and behold, there are multiple videos of axolotl breeding with weird music to it. <laughs> oh, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> it's some weird. <laughs> it's like a it's thing. I maybe it was maybe it was a challenge. I don't know. Um, but no, it's cool. Yeah. They're they're obviously you know uh, biology dorks like us, and they're probably really yeah, yeah. Uh, really pleased with their you know this behavior of the dance and stuff. And then yeah. they just probably have a great it's sense funny. of humor, like you and I, and so they put music yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, um, it is uh, as far as behaviors goes, that is super cool. Um, and and that's something. The one of the, I think, great things about axolotls living under human care, either in a zoological setting um, or uh, in some of these labs, is we do understand a lot more about their behavior than we would about some of these other species that we talk about where there's not very many left in the wild. So we we do know mm-hmm. a lot about their breeding behavior, and we do know what it takes um, to potentially save them. We just got to get the people backing it, and we got to give them healthy water and we got to stop people from eating them and things like that. So, uh, you know, I think showing more of their natural behaviors and they do this elaborate, rich, um, breeding dances and things like that will hopefully maybe make people want to fight for them more and show that they are really cool creatures. And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in regards to the reproduction, they're going to breed generally in the wild 
what's left of them from March to June. However, um, under human care can be, uh, pretty much any time. And that, uh, a female, once she, once she has been fertilized, when she picks up those, um, when she picks up the sperm metaphor from the male, it moves internally into her ovaries, uh, and fertilization occurs. She will basically, um, uh, deposit about 100 to 300 eggs into the water that will attach to substrate, plant material, whatever. And the eggs are surrounded by a protective jelly coat and they're laid singly. And so each little, she spends a lot of time, very diligent mama axolotl laying each individual egg, 100 to 300. Um, and axolotl eggs are laid individually because they have a higher oxygen content as compared to, let's say, frog eggs that are often clumped together. And once Mama Axolotl lays her eggs, uh, they will hatch within about 10 to 14 days. And the young, as if you think of a tadpole, are immediately independent. And usually they mature. Well, that's that's the wrong word. And so they've reached their full size uh, at about a year and will be ready for the next breeding season. Cool. Well, I mean, we already said they were critically endangered, but if we can get them laying 100 to 300 eggs and letting those survive, you know, it, it could help. But again, uh, the latest surveys, they haven't found them. They've only found them in the, in the markets around Mexico city. So yeah, they they're went still out, in the wild. They just don't know how many. Sure. Yeah. They went out in 1998, 2003, 2008, um, and around and found some, but they went out in 2013 after a four month long search in 2013 and didn't find any, However, I am more recently there. I mean, wild ones have been um, spotted in networks of canals, but shortly after 2013, when they didn't find any, after that really long search, there were reports of ones being seen in networks of canals leading to Exocomilico Lake, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And like you said, they're sometimes found in the different food markets. So, Researchers definitely believe that there's a very small population and potentially still viable and are trying to act as quick as possible to educate the locals on how rare they are. And because, of course, it's part of their culture, too, as far as, you know, hunting them. And it's hard, you know, that's a hard thing to say. Well, no, no, there's, you know, there's not that many when they're good at catching them. Right. Like they know where they're at. So that's that's a cultural issue, and there's definitely been uh, an, a conservation organization called the Darwin Institute went went in and spent a lot of time in there in the mid to late 2000s to really help um, work towards educating the locals, and hopefully that that will be somewhat successful. And then of course we've got to work with pollution and uh, lake, basically the amount of water in the lake, right? As we um, move into some of these more uh, global climate change catastrophes as far as droughts and things like that. So the city of Mexico city is currently working on, um, conserving axolotls by building axolotl shelters and trying to conserve, uh, the habitats that they think that they're in and get that water cleaned up and protect them from poachers and, and or hunters. Mm -hmm. And so that really made me think about my 
conservation tip of the week. And again, it's just, we've talked a lot about water conservation. So I just want to hammer home again. It's found some statistics on drinking water, right? So Mexico city, that's, you know, a lot of it is used for, for their water needs. So 30 to 60%, and I guess it depends on where you are on earth of domestic drinking water is used to water yards and gardens. Okay. And a lot of it is wasted by overwatering evaporation or even misdirected sprinklers that, you know, that sprinkler that, that washes into the road, a lot of that water is just wasted. So if we can be more cognizant, watering in the evenings, not during the day, using mulch beds, things we've already talked about in this podcast, we can drive down water usage. So for example, in the U.S., per capita, it's 170 gallons per day. That's normally what the average person uses. I'm going to give a shout out to Australia because that's why I wanted to bring this up. Australia, because of their water conservation efforts, leads the way. They have they use 36 gallons per day. Good job, per guys. So they're le- yeah, good job, Aussies. That's why we love you so much. Yeah, you guys are amazing. one of the many reasons. But they, you know, they still have the same. Yeah, they still have the same quality of life that we have here. So I found this too interesting. You know, go to Atlanta, where my sister lives, and where you and John lived. Missed each other. At this yeah, year. we, we different. We crossed like ships in the night yeah. back there in the in the two, early yeah. 2000s, but. Yes, I love the city. I loved it. <laughs> Last century. No. <laughs> like many moons ago. Yeah, just kidding. Yeah. So here, here you go. So if Atlanta embraced water efficiency solutions, they could save up to 130 to 210 million gallons of water a day. Wow. A day. That's incredible. And save the city $700 million. Like just, so use, you know, your water carefully. We've talked about it, you know, turn sure, it off. Sure, or low teeth. flush toilets. All these things that we uh, talked you can about. Put, you, can, uh, mm-hmm. you can put uh, empty, you can put bottles or rocks in your toilet water yeah. bowl yeah. to increase, uh, basically, mm-hmm. so they use less water. Um, you don't have to flush when it's just a little bit of pee in there. Or, uh, <laughs> or you know, if you are into your lawn, we're, we're not into our lawns. So we don't obviously water our lawn here, but if you are, try to get some local plants that are drought tolerant if you're in a low Mm -hmm. rain area Mm -hmm. or maybe just forget about green grass, plant a garden and then you, yeah, go ahead and water it at nighttime, but then you get to eat it. Stuff like that. Yeah. Work, work smart and hard. Yeah. We all have to be part of the solution. All of us, you know, not just one person or two people. All of us have to do this. Everybody. So there you go. So, axolotls, Ange, another amazing oh, creature. Thank you, Cecilia. Thank you, Cecilia, for teaching me and our public all about these. So, yeah, that's kind of my last little plug today is unless you know everything about an axolotl, man, tell a friend, show a picture. And I think it's okay to show like, mm-hmm. hey, isn't this guy charismatic? That's the best the more scientific word yes. to say. They're going to be like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh yeah. I think I've seen that like in an aquarium or, you know, da, da. and it'd be like, mm-hmm. no, yeah. I know. But the crazy thing is they're actually critically endangered in Mexico city and, and maybe right. give them our show notes or there's actually yeah. a lot of axolotl Facebook groups on, uh, on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you could follow if, if you find one that you like you could follow one of those guys to learn more about them potentially um and yeah and check out our show notes and just tell a friend and and make it your make it a point this week to share a little axolotl love to your friends and family 
they will thank you. The grinning amphibian will thank you if we can keep these guys living in the wild. That would be awesome. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Okay, cool. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.